I want to talk to you today on my podcast about the podcast, Last Man. Many of you are going to be listening, or a few, because it only takes a few to make a difference. Very seldom or rarely do many affect one. But more than often, and usually, it's one that affects many. The power of one, one voice, one man, one act, one idea, one song. Many of you are hungry and thirsty for one, one moment, one idea, one event, one meeting, one person that can make the difference in your life. And that's going to be dependent upon your discipline because that's your accountability. As Rabbi Guy would say, patience is a benefit for other people, but discipline is for you. So you've got a decision to make as you listen to the podcasts and the messages. Who are you going to be? What are you going to believe? What are you going to do? And how are you going to do it? You can follow the crowd. You can follow the majority. You can follow the naysayers, the accusers, the abusers, the manipulators and instigators, the ones who indoctrinate you to become like them because they actually are afraid of the truth. Why? Well, as one actor said in a line in a movie, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth because the truth for most of you is the lie you want to believe about you and me and everybody else. Even the lie you want to believe about God. Because somehow or another, you've determined that your purpose is your pleasure rather than your predestined assignment on this planet. And that's the pain that you try to numb and hide and ignore. But you've got to face that pain, the reality of your life, that you've just been chasing an illusion in a delusion of what you think works for you. False ideas, false politics, false religion, false people. Just keeping yourself drunk and numb with exercise and sport, drugs and drink, women and fake friends. You are a reveler, a partier, but you are not the best of you. You can chase money, it won't do it for you. None of your real estate holdings, none of your stocks, none of your likes on your social media, none of your followers, none of your fans. At the end of the day, you will be left high and dry with nothing that can sustain you when you need sustenance in your worst moments. 
delusional. And so today I want to talk to you about the very thing that most of you run from. God. Now God spelled backwards is dog. And I think if you look around you, everyone's got a dog on a leash because in some way it's a metaphor for your God. Something on a leash. You can feed it when you want, beat it when you want, treat it like you want. Control it. And hide behind it while you abort your babies. And ignore your children. Because you're too busy. Too busy for God. Therefore, you're too busy for you. Therefore, you're too busy for your wife. Therefore, you're too busy for your children. Therefore, you're too busy for life. Because you're not living life. And those that know better should do better, and they don't. But most of you, or a lot of you, you don't know any better. Never had someone come to you and confront you. Just placate you, lie to you, butter your toast. But not today. I'm not going to stand here with a pontificating message of ideas, apologetics, homiletics, and all the other edicts. It's not a message from Oxford or Cambridge or some theological cemetery or seminary, as you might refer to it. Because when all is said and done, as Abraham Lincoln said, God must love the average man. He made a whole hell of a lot of them. A lot of the average man, too many chiefs and not enough Indians, no tribe without the Indians, no audience without the common man, no congregation if you're just preaching to the choir. You've got to ask yourself something. Where is the power to make a difference? It's your testimony. You overcome by the word of your testimony. Now, you may not know all the ins and outs of the anthropological pinings and pronings and all kinds of other innings when it comes to all of the theological historicity of God's existence, the record of man and the record of the writings, all of the hieroglyphics, all of the Kush people of Egypt, all of the Sumerians. You may not know all of that. You may not have all of the history of language and writings and the morphing of Horus and Iris and the sun gods and all of the other stuff in mythology. But I would tell you one thing you do have that no one can dispute is your testimony. I'm going to read you a story today about the power of you, your testimony. With or without a degree, with or without your knowledge of history, your testimony. In John chapter 9, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, meaning master, teacher, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Is he working out his karma? I put that part in, the karma part. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, well, he kind of looks like him. And then the man spoke, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? Isn't that funny? Don't want to celebrate. Don't want to shout of thanks and glory. Instead, rather interrogate him. How are your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Now Jesus was a common name, Yeshua, Joshua, common name. You know, you can have a name that everybody has, but it's only your name when it's your name. And you can only carry that name uniquely and distinctly like you. So though others may have a name, they don't have it like you. Because each name is custom to you. And it morphs and becomes a name that becomes definitive to you. A new name. Coded in your DNA. But the Bible tells us that when we get to glory, there will be a new name. God will set a new name. A name that you've never heard that is waiting for you. Like that recessive gene just waiting for that trigger to turn it on. Because you see, we all have a switch. When God called Abraham, he was first Abram. And then God turned the switch and made him Abram. Sarai became Sarah. Jacob became Israel. Simeon, Simon became Petra. Peter because God has a way of setting you on a new path opening a new pathway a new identity a new purpose a new mission a new reason for being and living you see so many of you are dead like Lazarus you've been wrapped in grave clothing of the world false ideas they told you you weren't smart they told you you weren't beautiful. They told you you weren't any good. But then God calls your name in his frequency with his voice. And you hear it and he says, Lazarus, come forth in the grave and the death and the abuse and the hate and the pain that you've been carrying all your life is gone. And you're holy and you're free and you begin to see because someone Say it your name. Say it. Say my name. Young man the other day, when Rabbi Guy and I were on our mission, his name was Jacob. And Guy said, you know, let me tell you about your name. The young man never heard his name. He said, your name was changed. It's Israel. And the boy stepped back touched his heart. He goes, woof, I felt something. 
I felt something. This wasn't in a church service. This was on a hill in San Pedro overlooking the harbor. But God is everywhere. But you're not speaking his name. And the people need to hear their name. Speak it. The change comes when you hear that name. That DNA is waiting for someone to switch it on. Call my name. Yeshua. Jesus. Jacob. Mark. Nathaniel. Nicholas. Gabriella. Genevieve. Maria. Jonathan. Robert. Matthew. Jerry, Alexander, Tyler, Trevor, Douglas, Joshua, James. You've got a name. Leslie, you got a name. Yancey, you got a name. Elsie, Louise, Carolyn, you got a name. Jacqueline, Sandra, you got a name. The power's in the name. What does he call you? Come forth. Be free and live. It's all in a name. What's your name? Is it Joseph? Is it Parker? Is it William? What's your name? Is it Timothy? Is it Charles? Is it Carlos? What's your name? Then they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. They brought him, who formerly was blind to the Pharisees, you know, the ruling class, the people that think that they can determine if something's authentic or not. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. I'm sure the Hasidic Jews understand that. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. <laughs> Forget the results of the healing of the eye. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. What is he doing working? Healing somebody on the Sabbath. Doing something righteous and good to restore life. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And so there was a division amongst them. Is he good? Is he bad? Is he from God or the devil? They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opens your eyes. The man said, he's a prophet. But the Jews did not. Not all Jews, by the way, make a point of that. It was this particular class of Jews, not all Jews. But these particular Jews did not believe concerning him. Some did, but not these particular group. That he had been blind and received his sight until, until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked him saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that yes, he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. 
or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age. Ask him, he's a grown man. He can speak for himself, the parent said. And when the parents said these things, they said these things because they feared the Jews who were against Jesus, because they knew that the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, that he would be put out of the synagogue, banished from the temple, not in the group, not in that secret society, that secret club anymore, would lose all the benefits of being in that organization. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him, take us off the hot seat. Our son's a grown man, he can speak for himself. So they again called the grown man who was once blind and said to him, give God the glory. We don't want to hear anything more about this Jesus that did this. Give God the glory. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. The man answered and said, listen, whether this man is a sinner or not, I don't know. All I know, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I told you already. And you don't listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Because you see, most people, they don't like the truth. The truth to them is a lie they want to believe. So the man says, do you also want to become his disciples? Is that why you're asking? <laughs> then they reviled him. How dare you speak to us like this? Are you his disciples? We are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this man, this fellow, we do not know where he's from. The man answered and said to them, why this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from. Yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears that man. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of the one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Now this was the 40 year old man preaching back to these religious leaders. So they answered him back and said, you were completely born in sins. And who are you to teach us? And then they threw him out. You've been treated like that. Someone that thinks they're bigger than you, smarter than you, because they're either whatever, whiter than you or what come from a different pedigree up from the royal family of England, come from a different country, got a degree from Cambridge or some Christian theological university. I was about to name one. Listen to me. Your testimony is your power. So the religious aristocracy will never get it. The spiritual elite will never get it. They won't get it because they've been set against it. They are the enemy of God. And some of you are just plain ignorant. Some will perish because they're far from God. Others will be destroyed because they're rebellious. What did he say? I'm not a Pharisee, I'm not a scribe, I'm not a Sadducee. I don't know the curriculum of the Septuagint, I, but I do know this, that you could not do this righteous act unless God was behind it. And you question this man and you should know better. All I know 
is once I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. You may not be able to preach like Paul. May not be able to sing like an angel. May not have a PhD or DDD or THD or any other D's behind your name other than a VD from your debauchery. But what you have that no man can take from you is your testimony. Testify. Stop arguing and pontificating with people that want to be intellectually stimulated by a cognitive ascent of words. A bunch of nothing. Paul said, I came to you with the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. I left all of that excellent speech behind me to entice you with man's wisdom and knowledge, but rather with the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. Power is your testimony. No one can rob you of what God did for you. They want to argue about Buddha and Hindu and Thomas, whatever they want to argue. Let them argue about it. I don't know about that. I don't want to know about that. All I know is Jesus saved me. All I know is I was once like you, lost, drinking, drunk, sexual debauchery, immorality, greed, hate, racism, prejudice. But God got a hold of me. And when God got a hold of me, it changed everything. I didn't need to smoke cannabis. I didn't need to inject in my veins. I didn't need to hum with a Tibetan monk or a gong. I got on my knees because when God puts you on your back, it's to get you on your knees, to stand you on your feet and do better than your parents did. Your uncles, your friends. You get to be the generation to resurrect the revelation of God I'm not here to argue about that pastor, that church, that denomination, that political group, that president, that congressman, that governor. All I know is there's one name under heaven whereby men can be saved. That name, Jesus. It ain't the flag, it's the cross of Calvary. Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, your Messiah. Preach Jesus. Give him your testimony. The greatest power you have is what did God do for you and when did you meet him? My father didn't like preachers because his father was a preacher and his father got drunk after preaching and they came home and beat the kids and beat the wife. My father got big. He didn't want anything to do with God. So he went into the bars and became a strip club owner because the testimony in his home was if that's God, I don't want no part of it. Many of you have had that testimony because you know hypocrites. You weren't taught right, trained right. You didn't see your parents live it. They weren't praying in the home, singing in the home. They might have taken you to a building where somebody else told you to pray. Somebody else told you to sing. Somebody else told you to read this. But they didn't do it at the dinner table. They didn't do it in your house. No wonder you don't want God. But I met God despite my father's angst from the home he was raised in in my home not in a church building in my home grandma would come over and read the bible at five years old my testimony and i found out i didn't have to call on superman i could call on jesus it wasn't the red cape around his neck it was the red blood that he sacrificed 
When I found out I could talk to the Lord. When I had trouble at school with the bully. Or trouble in the home with the daddy. Or trouble at home with the brothers, the sisters. Trouble at home with the neighbors. Trouble at home with the city or the government. I could call on Jesus. Ain't calling on Trump, Biden, Kamala. Ain't calling on Obama. Ain't calling on nobody but Jesus. That's my testimony. Jesus. Whether you want to call him prophet, man, or whatever you want to call him. I call him Jesus. I called on him. He saved my life. Gave me reason and intellect. Wisdom and understanding. Comprehension. And authority. And it doesn't matter what you say about him. What you think about him. What you read about him. What you think you know about him. Because I experienced him. And all I know is what he did for me. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. Hallelujah. Your testimony is all you got. And it's where you have your power. Let them see. My father saw over the years, over the years, by looking at his son, how his son was living. It didn't happen overnight. You need a reputation that goes before you. Get some tread under your feet where people can see something, a track record of who you are and what you do. You don't have to be perfect, by the way. The only perfect person is a fool who thinks he can be perfect. But God in your weakness will show his strength. In your doubt will show his faith. But you got to let God come in your life to be an example to others. Nobody is going to follow because you go to church. They're not going to follow just because you hold a Bible. They're definitely not going to follow because you wear a cross around your neck. They're not going to follow because you can quote a scripture or sing a song. They'll watch your life and see how you act in your family. How you love, how you forgive, how you rebuke, how you resist. Watch where you go and where you don't go. What you say and what you don't say. And your life will be the testimony that will bring power to the gospel you claim to believe in. When my daddy gave his life, he told them, I didn't trust the preachers, too many of them stealing money. Didn't trust the priests, too many of them raping boys. Didn't trust the denominations or the systems. All I know is that boy that was in my home that I watched grow up. I watched how he put up with my persecution and my abuse, my rejection of him, my antagonizing of him, and he stood his ground and never gave way. And I saw that over time. I knew when I can finally see a man in my home, my own son, who would not be moved like a tree planted by the rivers of waters. I should not be, there must be a God, he's real. Because I saw it, couldn't shake my son, couldn't move my son, couldn't turn my son. He had a firm faith, rooted and grounded in Christ. Get back to your testimony, get back to your testimony. And testify what God 
has done for you. What God has done for you, he can do for another. What one man can do, any man can do. If that man trusts in the man that empowers them to do. Man can't, but God can. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now 